3: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center.
4: Here's Armstrong and Getty.
0: You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty
4: Show. Hundreds of Cubans who took part in those street protests across the Caribbean nation, waving the flags, chanting freedom, chanting I am not afraid. Well, they're in jail now and nobody knows where they are. Their families can't speak to them. There are no charges in most cases. Excuse me. They're just being detained by the police. Uh, Cuban police have arrested an estimated 500 demonstrators and activists. Uh, the conditions are nasty. Uh, families are lining up outside detention centers to figure out if their loved ones are there and to deliver clothing, toiletries and food because there's no guarantee they'll be fed or anything like that. Uh, it is a repressive, totalitarian, socialist regime. And it is absolutely ugly. Uh, Let's go ahead with uh, this is Toulouse alone. How do you pronounce his name? Alorunipa? Or something like that on CNN. He's one of their go to panelists. Uh, In clip 25, please. 25. The progressive wing of, of the Democratic
1: Party does not want to go hard. Uh, against Cuba, against um, some of the things that uh, the Castro regime may have been a part of, in part because there are some Democrats, there are some progressives who who uh, agree with some of those things. They agree with universal health care. They agree with some of the programs that were in place in a more socialist kind of uh, uh, society. And uh, Joe Biden is trying to push against that. He's essentially trying to say, you know, we do not want our party to head in that direction because
4: he saw what happened in South Florida in 2020. Right. Yeah, they, they you know, the Democrats got their butts whooped, primarily because there are so many Cuban-Americans who hear the promises of socialism and say, oh, no, 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 because we know where that goes. Which brings us to the question of socialism and communism and how one leads to the other and whether it has to or not. I am a firm, firm, firm believer that socialism always leads to totalitarianism. It just has to. Because if you're going to have everything organized by the government, by the bureaucrats, the central planners, who will manipulate industries and and redistribute income, the rest of it, there are going to be certain numbers of people who say, no, this is unjust, this is wrong, this is immoral, I I would rather have liberty, and you can't have that, or the system doesn't work. You have to beat them into submission to bring them this alleged worker's paradise.
0: If we have to hang a thousand kulaks, that's uh, the famous uh, Lenin letter, that was unearthed at some point where they are going around hanging farmers to try to get everybody to uh, go along with socialism. It'll work. We just might have to murder a whole bunch of people to get it to work.
4: Right. And the fantasy is that you'll find human beings so wise and noble and strong that they will gain that control over everything. Because, again, you can't have a centr- centrally planned society where you allow dissent or it falls apart but but we're going to find human beings so wise and benevolent and strong that they can be trusted with that sort of enormous power in this system they won't take more than their fair share right they're they're you know who's the richest person in venezuela Hugo Chavez' niece or daughter or somebody or I can't remember his girlfriend. Anyway, oh, and two. Uh, Yeah, they're not going to funnel the very limited, the increasingly limited uh, goods and services to their friends and cronies. Of course not. Just because it's happened every single time it's been tried doesn't mean it'll happen next time, which in turn brings us to Orwell, who I'm fascinated by, George Orwell. I, I would like to quit this stinking dead-end job and, and devote the rest of my life to studying George Orwell and reading everything he ever wrote, because he was a dedicated socialist. I don't know if you knew that. And the point of much of his writing, Jack, feel free to agree, disagree, or, or amend. Uh, the point of much of his writing was showing his so- socialist brethren what the hazards were in their system and how they had to avoid them. George Orwell,
0: just like Vin Scully. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The
4: daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway. Oh, and two. We need more of that on Major League Baseball. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Some good red meat conservatism at the ballpark. How about instead of, you know, you got a little, there are a
0: lot of lulls in baseball. That's what makes a great announcer great. You know, filling in the lulls instead. Instead of, you know, uh by the way, we'd like to remind you that Jim's Ford, Jim's Ford, always there for you when you need it for, you know, less of that and more uh, condemning socialism. <laughs> right. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of
4: Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. That one's high. It's you going out of play. It's a foul ball. It's a 1-2. AOC claims to be a socialist. She's raised $75 million in the last three weeks and is funneling that to her friends and relatives. And here's the pitch.
0: And Guevara steps off the mound to talk to the manager. Uh, you remember Lennon's letter in which he talked about hanging a 1,000 kulaks. To make socialism work anyway, oh and two.
4: Remember. Anyway. Ow oh and two. <laughs> Remember, a baseball team needs a manager, but an economy doesn't. Anyway, here's to the free market. Here's the pitch. So the, the, the uh, I, I, and, and this could be a lack of understanding hello. of Orwell because, <laughs> hello, uh, because I haven't quit this dead end job to study Orwell, but he, he seems to me to have a remarkable blind spot because he's so brilliant and he foresaw so many things so clearly. And he was such a keen observer of humankind. Yet he still thought yeah. central planning could be pulled off. Very confusing to me also. But here's a great, a great quote for him. And I wonder, I wonder if late in his life he began to despair about it. Anyway, he said, the only thing for which we can combine, uh, come together, is the underlying ideal of socialism, justice and liberty. But it's hardly strong enough to call this ideal underlying. It's almost completely forgotten. It's been buried beneath layer after layer of doctrinaire priggishness, party squabbles, and half-backed progressivism until it's like a diamond hidden under a mountain of dung. The job of socialists is to get it out again. Justice and liberty. Those are the words that have got to ring like a bugle across the world. I'd love to sit down with George, though, and say... How how can you have liberty and socialism in the same place?
0: Yeah, I don't know. And uh, one of the greatest lovers of Orwell, writer, thinker, Christopher Hitchens, who wrote a book about Orwell, Why Orwell Matters. It's a pretty good book. Christopher Hitchens stayed a um, at least a Trotskyist and somewhat of a socialist his entire life, even though he's got a chapter in his book in which he went to Cuba, uh, I think in the 60s as a young man, Part of the whole, you know, Workers of the World Unite went there to see the workers' paradise. And uh, he talks about how as soon as he got off the plane, they took his passport. And he thought, wait a second. Why are you taking my passport? And quickly realized uh, what an what an awful situation Cuba was. And it was not even close to the workers' paradise he was hoping for. There was no freedom. There was no freedom of thought. There was no free speech. There was no free writing. There was no nothing. Yeah. Hello, but uh, now, so some some of these really smart people continue to believe if it were just implemented properly, it would work. Well, how yeah, this, is that ever going to happen? If you believe in
4: human nature, if you've spent your life obsessing over this stuff like we have, this is old hat. But if you haven't, it's really it's quite a good metaphor. It's it's referred to as the the horse and rider. Um, uh, conundrum or, or point of view of socialism Socialists uh, Central planners from AOC To, to Barack Obama To Bernie uh, Bernard Sanders uh, and, and others like them they, Bernard Sanders The <laughs> horse of socialism <laughs> Why is that clip so funny Is it, It's got to be the old time Like tone of the guy's voice Back know. when all announcers sounded like that Phil, Bernard Sanders Phil Donahue with his giant glasses exactly. Bernard Sanders Anyway, the point of view is that the horse of socialism is a fine horse. We've just had the wrong riders: mm. Lenin and Marx, well, Lenin and, and and Trotsky and and, uh, and uh, Stalin, wrong riders. Castro, wrong rider. Hugo Chavez, wrong rider. Wow. They just, uh, Mao, Mao. I, well, every single friggin' one of them was just the wrong writer. But if we can manage it right, we can handle that sort of power and control, and we'll do it right this time. Just trust us. We'll we'll get rid of of inequity. We'll get rid of income inequality. Watch we'll, me. We'll get rid of high class and low class. Just trust us. And then they run the horse into the ditch and kill a bunch of people every single damn time.
3: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: So maybe this is as good a place to fit this in as anywhere. I just came across this uh, recently. Um, read Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. It's one of those books that they make you read in high school or college or something. I don't know if I did or not. If I did, it never made an impact me o- on me at the time but at my current age, it did. New York Times has a thing in their book review section where they ask people, what are books you should read before you're 40? What are books you shouldn't read until after you're 40? Which I'd never really considered before, but it's clearly true, clearly true that there are, uh, there are things that y- they make you read in college that they have no impact on you because you haven't had the life experience. You haven't had kids. You haven't grown old. You haven't You you just haven't had the life experience to get into them. Then there are other books. Like, I tried reading some Jack Kerouac at my current age, you know, a few years ago, and it just seems stupid to me. It seems self-indulgent stupid. And it was, like, really deep and meaningful to me when I was, like, 29. Huh. Just, you know, just where you are in life, I guess. Yeah, sure. But anyway, so this is from Mrs. Dalloway. Now, you got to keep in mind that they're talking about people being in their 50s. This was written in 1925, I think. Back then, being in your fifties was more like being in your seventies now. So you need to recognize that. I mean, the whole sixty is the new forty is for real. My mom talks about it all the time. She said when I was young, somebody sixty was in an old folks' home. Wow, that's just you know, com- good lord. Combination of health attitudes, you know, starting adulthood. You know, you were married and had kids when you were twenty. So just a lot of things were different. So excuse the age he is in this. Think more of like a 70-year-old than a 53-year-old. Because I often, I often, I don't want to sound cruel here, but I often see old people and I think, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And I wonder about that for myself, like when I'm that age. What's going to get me out of bed when I'm 75? What 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 do I enjoy? What do I look forward to? I mean, do you spend all I, I it doesn't seem like it being around my parents or other old people. It doesn't seem like you spend all your time thinking everything sucks now. Everything that's good happened before and everything sucks in my life now. People don't do that, but I can't quite understand why. Human they don't connections. Feel that way
4: You know, it's about uh, the people you care about, I guess.
0: Well, this is I came across this explanation, I think, in Mrs. Dalloway that I think explains it, and, and, and I hope this is the direction that it goes for me and it must go for most people. I'll read this best I can. It's about one of the characters in the book. A terrible confession it was, he put on his hat again, but now, at the age of 53, one scarcely needed people anymore, opposite of what Joe just said. People scarcely needed people anymore. Life itself, every moment of it, every drop of it, here, this instant, now, in the sun, in Regent's Park, was enough. Too much, indeed. A whole lifetime was too short to bring it out. Now that one had acquired the power, the full flavor to extract every ounce of pleasure, every shade of meaning, which both were so much more solid than they used to be, and so much less personal. Now, I've read a, I've watched a couple of hmm. long, explanations of what that just that paragraph means and uh you know if you're older maybe you can uh chime in on the text line uh, whether or not this has been for you um that you reach an age or it happens gradually over time i suppose to where you start to notice the world around you more than you ever did with you taken out of the mix because when we're younger it's all about us Sure. And by younger, I mean up until like age 70. But uh, it's all about us. Everything is how it affects us. You know, how is this good for me, bad for me, or whatever. And what he's explaining right there is it's not personal anymore. It's just observing the world. I'm just floating around in the world. I'm no longer, it no longer matters to me because most of my life has been lived. And there's just so much richness to the world here. Once I've extracted myself from it, which is kind of the opposite of what you might think. But once you take your own needs and personality and everything out of it and you just observe humans and things and beasts and buildings and traffic and everything like that, that life becomes very rich and very interesting. I find that fascinating. Uh, I hope that that's the experience I have. That would explain to me um, how you can be quite old and still get a lot out of life. That's the first time yeah. I've ever seen explained that way anywhere in fiction or nonfiction.
4: Interesting thought. I used to regularly describe this uh, radio show as a trip to the human zoo. <laughs> right. Maybe just
0: watching the human zoo or uh, the regular zoo with animals or just, just watching the world be what it is without the, the freaking filter that is self, which is what yes. dominates us through so much of our lives. Um, our, you know, need to be loved, liked, respected, envied whatever it is that drives us to buy things and do things and strive for this or that. But once that is done, according to this anyway, uh, Virginia Woolf, who you gotta remember, killed herself. Um, <laughs> so maybe it wasn't working so well for her. Um, uh, that that's just what you get out of the world. I don't know. Agree or disagree? Any thoughts on that text line? four one five two nine five kftc Gave me something to look forward to. 415
3: 415- yeah, w- I- I'm sorry. Go
4: ahead. Four one five two nine five KFTC. I was just gonna say I was I'm I'm thinking about the don't need people anymore. What what exactly was that line? He
0: I, was I, walking out of a party, and just how and and the party was all about the other stuff we were talking about. Self it was all about right. status and who knew who and who was wearing what and who drove what and all that crap that mm-hmm. dominates so much of your life.
4: Yeah, and he had reached yeah. the age where
0: just none of that crap mattered anymore.
4: Yeah, that I absolutely get. And that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about real, you know, connections between humans who care about each other and bring each other joy. I mean, at the point you don't give a damn about making any more money or a career or to some extent who's in office, depending, you know, on the politics of the time. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's of course some good stuff. Literature, a- you say. That yeah.
0: author, Virginia Woolf, put heavy rocks in her pockets and walked out into a river when she was in her late 50s. So.
4: Well, I think it's possible to have wisdom and insight and also uh, crushing depression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think the two are mutually no, exclusive. No, no, absolutely not. And she did it on purpose, right? She just didn't oh, forget yeah. they get in her pocket. No, no, she did oh, it on she purpose. She just liked to carry rocks around in her pockets, and she liked to take walks in the ocean. Never occurred to her not to do both at once.
0: She left a note for her husband that said, I don't think anybody, any marriage has ever been happier than ours. I'm sorry I'm doing this to you, but I just can't go on anymore and put heavy rocks in her pockets and walk down into a river.
4: Why, this is a cheery little story you got here.
0: It's a heck of a thing, though, isn't it?
4: Yes. Who comes yes, up?
0: and it's made me sad. Who comes up with that idea?
4: Thanks for making me sad. You don't have to be sad. You're not going to do it. I know I don't have to be sad. I am sad. Okay. Don't tell me how to be. <laughs> now I'm angry. Don't tell me not to be angry either. That would make me sad again. How about a little transition music, Michael?
0: What is this? Transition music. I've never heard this one. It's making me forget what we were talking about, which is the point. So. All right. Uh, is that the tunnel scene from Willy Wonka? <laughs> that uh, that gave me dread. The back of my neck is sweating. I feel like I'm about to get knifed
4: by a clown. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. What's, what's happening? What's
3: happening?
0: <laughs> Mannequins are walking. Sleep <laughs> <laughs> <it> again,
4: Michael. <laughs> Save
0: save money. Jeez, oh, yeah,
3: that's too much. <laughs> too right. much. Make if, it stop again. if somebody's
0: half asleep somewhere, they're going to be. They're going
4: to wet their bed. <laughs> <laughs> that music was terrifying.
3: <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this: there's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
0: i'm jack armstrong he's joe getty we're the armstrong and getty
4: show are you tired of gulping down the lying filth of the mainstream media yeah we are too we try to tell you the truth every single day gulping down lying filth
0: Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you, and it'll be fun at the same time. you have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Four episodes available every day via the iHeartRadio
4: app or wherever you download your podcasts.
3: Jack Armstrong
4: and Joe Getty. is Armstrong and Getty.
0: So California, biggest state in the country, is about to launch the biggest free school lunch program in the entire country. Speaking of advocacy journalism, I've uh, searched around and come across several versions of the story. They're all super cheerleading for the idea of more free lunches for more people without anybody tossing in a what it costs or aren't parents supposed to feed their kids or anything like that. Nobody or, even or touching even- that.
4: Is there a legitimate need for the giant government program?
0: Well, the the need is, uh, and we've been talking about this for years, the, the idea that if you have any kids that are hungry, they feel bad or their parents feel bad. And so we don't want to stigmatize people. So better to give free lunch is to all kids. That way nobody feels stigmatized.
4: Well, right, and then the phony statistic of food insecurity. At any time in the last year, were you concerned that you might not have enough food?
0: So when uh, classrooms open in California here in a couple of weeks, all 6.2 million public school students have the option to eat school meals for free, regardless of the family's income. So they're doing away with the whole income thing. And i got to believe that over time... More and more people will take advantage of that and just think, why am I paying double? I'm a taxpayer. I'm paying for my kids' lunch and the lunch that they're not eating. So I guess I'll just take the free lunch. I uh, say, I don't want to come off as a jerk here, but, well, I'll just say it. I would be ashamed if I couldn't afford to feed my kids. If I had to ask for government help, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be ashamed and embarrassed. And I think I should be. I think that I have crafted my life in such a way that I can't afford to feed my kids is really not a good look for
4: me. And, well, for all of human history, the idea that I have produced a child, but I can't care for it. That was deeply shaming. And And it should
0: be. And if we eliminate any idea of responsibility or shame around having and
4: feeding and, and taking care of a kid... Well, we're doomed. You think that'll result in better care for kids? (laughs) Do you, my utopian friends? Yeah. It's astounding how little
0: before you get to the point that you can't afford to feed your kid, you got to decide. I need a new career. I need to live somewhere else where it's a lot cheaper. I need to do a change all kinds of things. I need to stop having an iPhone with a $200 a month service plan. I need to change all kinds of things in my life long before I get to the point that I can't afford to feed my kid.
4: Well, and, or I gotta quit doing drugs. I gotta get on the straight and narrow and be a, be a man. Be a woman.
0: And they always quote people from various, they they quote people from San Luis Obispo mom who is a rent, blah, 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 working two jobs. They always quote these people from some of the most expensive places to live in the entire world. You can't afford to live there by definition. So you got to move somewhere else. You know why I never? I always thought it would be cool to live in New York City. You know why I never did? I never had a job that would have paid me enough to live there. I couldn't afford to live there, so I didn't go. If I went and I got there, and then I said, I can't afford to feed my kids, would somebody do a news story about uh, Jack Armstrong who says the rents are too high with his current uh, income to feed his children? I live in the most expensive city in America, <laughs> so I shouldn't have moved here.
4: It's, I'd find a place where you can afford to have kids or don't have kids collectivism denies you your individuality it didn't it 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 imprisons you as it claims to lift you up it really is the lack of insight amazes me how people don't think okay what next what will this change what will the results of this policy be nobody even asks that The idea of a kid being at school hungry is just
0: horrifying to me. I'm not so hard-hearted that that doesn't... It's just terrible. The idea of a little kid being hungry and not having any food is awful. But we can't craft a society where we give everybody everything. It doesn't work. It's been tried over and over again. It doesn't work. You eliminate the responsibility to take care of you and your family, and people... Don't rise to the occasion; they lower to the occasion. They sink down to what everything is provided for them, and they just become nothings. It's happened over and over again around the world. See Cuba,
4: right, right, right. It's
0: well, I, and I can't believe so. Once again, another another step down the road of socialism. And you voted for who? Who was advocating this position? You watched what debate where they were discussing this? No, these things just happen.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of it's that the Department of Agriculture props up the farmers and buys up yep. excessive output and the rest of it. They gotta do something with it. The most socialism pro, uh,
0: part of government is the Department of Agriculture, man. They are pro-socialism there. Oh, yeah. and, they, and they keep having, uh, secretaries of agriculture that are, just seem to be flat out socialists.
4: Yeah, yeah. Partly for their own purposes you know but it's again it's nothing that was voted on or discussed or debated so
0: so tell me if i'm right or wrong if i'm just a completely out of line meanie uh text line four one five two nine five kftc and i'd actually like to hear these arguments i'm not just trying to like you know do a talk radio thing oh who's who who agrees with me that sort of thing tell me that that tell me i'm wrong you can't have a society where you provide the government the the state provides the things, the very basic things that we're supposed to provide in our lives.
4: Yeah, I would say where the state takes over the responsibilities of parents. And not only food, but also indoctrinates them, teaches them right from wrong, teaches them that they're evil if they're white, for instance. Well, and
0: now kids then are going to grow up with the idea, no, the state feeds you. It's not responsibility of you. When you grow up and you're a parent, it's not your job to figure out how to feed your kids. Right. The state feeds
4: your kids. And then, of course, since it is an entitlement, you begin to feel entitled. You pop out a kid and then say, where's the food for my kid? When are you going to give my kid food? Unbelievable.
0: When I think the rest of us, when we're getting ready to decide to have kids, start thinking about our financial situation and how am I going to afford this? How am I going to afford that? Not who's going to provide this for me? What the hell? Yeah, I know. Text line four one five two nine five kftc I look forward to some of the text and we'll continue the discussion. What's
4: discouraging to me is that, uh, except for the young who haven't heard this argument, uh, among adults, what we're saying is either so incredibly self-evident and so important, uh, people already know it, they know it to their bones, or they're utterly flabbergasted by that point of view. They can't even, what are you talking about? Are you in favor of children starving? Oh my God!
0: So, uh, California about to launch the biggest free lunch program in america every student regardless of income is eligible for free food did all we taxpayers get together and vote on we're going to feed each other's kids how about i keep my money you keep your money and we give our kids food they like to eat because so many of these texts are about the age-old problem of the kids hate the food at school and it just gets thrown in the trash so Mm -hmm. nobody's getting anything really anyway i'll read through some of the texts here uh, and we got quite a few on uh, launching this giant school lunch program, which I'm against. I think the government taking away the responsibility for feeding my own child. Really, my number one responsibility I've got in my life at the point I became a parent is feeding my own kid. And you're going to take away my number one responsibility. Right. Which is, you think that's a good thing? I don't think that's probably a good thing. Anyway. My kids' school started all free lunch this year. My boys tell me that most of the kids throw out most of their lunch anyway due to the new healthy changes that they made about two years ago. So with all the ver- the variety of uh, super health things that they do, it doesn't taste good, so the kids don't like it, so it ends up in the trash.
4: As I te- remember when uh, when Michelle Obama made everything extra healthy and they, they had such enormous amounts of throwaway that they had to rescind the orders. Uh, lots of people saying that, though. As a teacher, the food that is wasted is
0: heartbreaking and immoral. Uh, talked to a local school food distribution program worker. He said there's so much fraud and double-dipping in this program. I'll bet. I'll bet there is. Can we ask to see if parents have a ton of expensive tattoos before they get a free food handout? Uh, Reading of text is not something or other, something or other. I'm just reading text. <laughs>
4: Uh, i can show Re- you tweets are not endorsements
0: i can show you how to feed your own kid on the cheap plan ahead and buy in bulk with a friend or two the dollar store sold loaves of breads for a dollar peanut butter and jelly is cheap and it's what the kids want to eat anyway they won't throw that away another one my first grader has to take a free meal every day they throw it away every day uh, i work in reno nevada all students are offered free breakfast and free lunch sure yeah what really bothers me is, um, the, uh, so much of the food is thrown in the trash. I'd love at the very least to give it to the homeless, but no, it's against the law to give it to the homeless. So we throw it in the trash. You gotta <laughs> you love know, that. You <laughs> gotta love that. A government program to feed the kids. And if the kids don't want to eat it, you are, it's against the law to give it to the homeless because we got a separate taxpayer paid program to give meals to the homeless over in this building. So you throw that food away and spend more taxpayer money by giving different food over there. Freaking unbelievable.
4: Well, the waste part of it is, is awful. And it, it just goes to show you how these programs work. There's a tremendous amount of expense and very little, uh, very little effect. But what bothers me more is, is the more, I don't know, existential change it causes in people. I, it's not my responsibility to feed my child, to care for my child, to look after my child. It's the government's. And once that, once you agree, and this, this is fundamental, folks. Once you agree that that child isn't your child, it's the government's child. Well, you're not going to like where it goes from there. Once, and, and there are plenty of people on the left who want that. I've talked more than once about my Marxist professor in college who, who said the whole nuclear family, the parents raising the children thing is, it's a symbol. It's a system of oppression. The state should be raising children. Once again,
0: reading text is not an endorsement. Now back to the text line. Are poor kids starving? Just walk the beach near any LA low-income area. Most of the kids are not hungry; they're fat. Many are obese, as are mom and dad.
4: Right. Uh,
2: so yeah. Yeah, we do
0: have an epidemic of childhood obesity, particularly among the poor. So that's kind of interesting. Um I agree with you. It's ridiculous to offer free lunch to some and not to others. We have them come to school. We need to feed them. Breakfast and dinner is above the call, but lunch, I'm fine with it. Okay. There's one who's uh, on board with the free lunches. Taking away your responsibility to feed your own children. Put it in the hands of the government. I think you are completely crazy.
3: Who wants to eat? Who the f*** wants to eat? Go have to Hooray!
0: Show me an example of successful civilizations where the state provided the food for people.
4: I don't yeah, think it exists. I don't, I don't. Uh, you know, I suppose you could make an argument that just lunch is part of the school day, uh, so it's just that you, you don't have to bother. It's part of what your tax money goes
2: to. And our parents it's were. It's a change just, in
0: society. And I guess our parents were just dumb suckers thinking they had to provide a lunch for us every single day.
2: Armstrong and
3: the Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: Uh, so, so a quick note, uh, here's this California school district, uh, specifically Hayward Unified. It's going to spend $40 million on mandatory critical race theory classes for students. Teachers will be trained by consultants who make $1,500 an hour. Oh.
0: $1,500 an hour.
4: Oh, my God. It is such a scam. You know, and we've gotten a couple of emails from people saying, guys, critical race theory is actually valid. It's taught in law, law school. It shows how, uh, it studies how s- historically racism becomes codified and the effects it has. No, that's a perfectly reasonable uh, pursuit for legal scholars to look into. The problem is, my friends, that that term, critical race theory, has become applied to a, a philosophy, a cause, and a way to organize society. It's morphed into something completely different. You don't know what you're talking about. On the street, it's become something completely different. Oh, by the way, in the various teachers unions say <laughs> we're not teaching critical race theory. We just want to teach honest history. Well, Hayward came out with a statement and said, yeah, the 40 million dollars blah blah blah, the new ethnic studies curriculum will be informed by and include critical race theory. So, there you have it. So, I came across this piece in the Wall Street Journal, uh written by one Lance Morrow. Uh the hedgehogs of critical Lance race. Lance Morrow, Lance Morrow. There's always Lance Morrow. The political philosopher Isaiah Berlin turned an obscure fragment by the ancient Greek poet Archilochus. The fox knows many things. But the hedgehog knows one thing.
0: So I brought this to the program a couple of months ago, and we pondered over that for quite some time, trying to figure out what the hell that
4: meant. <laughs> yeah, and how I could shape my life having realized that. Well, he turned it into an intellectual's cocktail party game in a famous essay published in a, as a book in 1953. Berlin suggested that the world is divided between hedgehogs and foxes, those who believe in one big thing, one all-sufficient super-explanation. And those who are content with a more modest and sometimes even incoherent idea of how history unfolds. Karl Marx was a supreme hedgehog, for instance. Everything for him was about the conflict of economic classes. Franklin D. Roosevelt, for instance, was a restlessly improvising fox. Then Morrow writes, the world's hedgehog population tends to expand in times of stress and change. Lately, it has exploded in the U.S. Hedgehogs are thick on the ground, all of them advancing one big thing or another, each peering through the lens of a particular obsession. I would argue there's been a fair amount of hedgehoggery around COVID-19. Your health officials, they act as if children's emotional and educational health don't exist. Our need for socializing doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is COVID-19. At any rate... He goes on to write, at the moment, the biggest one big thing is race, a key, it seems, to all of America, to the innermost meanings of the country and its history. It isn't really true. Race is one of many big things in America. It's hardly the most important. Americans need to desanctify the subject of race, to mute its claims, which have grown absolutist and, as it were, theological in their thoroughness and their dogmatism. Critical race theory is spread across the U.S., like... A virus coming to infect primary schools and high schools and universities, foundations, art museums, big corporations, the military, local, state and federal government bureaucracies. It's everywhere in the West Wing. President Biden spent almost 40 years following the ways of an amiable political fox in the Senate, exchanging pleasantries and now and then doing legislative business with Confederate mossbacks like Strom Thurmond and James Eastland. Mossbacks. Has in his old age signed on with the monomaniacs of the left.
0: Monomaniacs, that's
4: a good one. That is a really good one. The hedgehog's trajectory may begin on the side of an undeniable and important truth. This is to your, uh, Mott and Bailey argument thing, Jack. It begins with an undeniable and important truth. The truth that slavery was a great wickedness in America, as it was elsewhere in the world and still is, and that race prejudice has been a chronic American dilemma and a moral blight that has damaged and scarred the lives of millions of black American citizens over generations. 100% true. Well, he writes, all true, a truth to be acknowledged and addressed, but hedgehogs who deal in absolutes are liable to get carried away. Their truth changes shape as it coalesces into a political movement and gets a taste of power and begins to impose itself programmatically. Its ambitions swell. It grows messianic. It embraces civic idiocies like defund the police, and beholds the astounding impunity in which it may run amok in the streets and burn police cars and shopping malls as it did last summer, and the ease with which it may take over city councils and mayor's offices and turn so many of the country's normal arrangements upside down. Okay, so now the hedgehog gets a whiff of power And because it's a monomaniac... We have reason to believe that he's a maniac. Anyway... Ah, uh, and then uh, so it, it goes into the McCarthy era era of seeing communists under every bed. The single minded ideology of critical race theory sees racism in every white face, a racism systemic, pervasive, inescapable, damning. All white people are racists. The doctrine devolves to the crudest form of white, what might be called racial Calvinism. Americans are predestined, saved or damned, depending on the color of their skin. This doctrine merely reverses the theory of white supremacy, which which damned black people and consigned them to oppressive segregation because of their skin. And here's where he really brings it home. So critical race theory, protesting the old injustice, embraces its lie. This is not progress, but revenge. The motive is not justice, but payback an understandable if balkan impulse beware a hedgehog claiming the immunities of an innocent victim beware when victimhood is his one big thing the victim wants revenge and who is more justified in committing any crime or any injustice than a blameless victim acting in historic retaliation virtue feeling vengeful and tasting power grows manic dogmatic dangerous critical race theory ends by fostering the evil it professes to combat racism and the hatred that comes with it very good that's good stuff my guy knows a lot of pretty words
0: so tom brady just made a funny at the white house we'll play that for you when we come back the uh super what was bowl he doing there super bowl champion buccaneers are visiting as championship teams regularly do
4: is he the secretary of winning?
0: I'm sorry, as, as uh, championship teams regularly do, if it's a Democrat in the White House, if it's a Republican in the White House, they take a
4: strong stand against it and don't show up. It's because um, conservatives think liberals are misguided and liberals think conservatives are evil.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
1: information.